Book One, Chapter Two, Section Two of Tasker Jevons, The Real Story by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Book One, My Book, Chapter Two, Section Two. The game lasted some little time. I didn't like to see her driven to these shifts. I was afraid, in fact, they'd overdo it and i came to her help by telling jevons that captain thesiger was an enthusiastic admirer of his work and reggie burst in jubilantly he was evidently glad to be able to meet jevons on this happy ground with are you the chap who wrote those things i've been reading i say vivi you might have told me he fastened upon jevons then and there he started him off on the boxing match there was very little about boxing that reggie didn't know but he appealed to jevons with a charming deference as to an expert the dear boy had a good deal of his sister's innocent veneration for the chaps who wrote the things they'd been reading who could that is to say do something they couldn't do and jevons once started on the boxing match fairly let himself go he careered over the field of sport interrupting his own serious professional elan with all sorts of childlike and spontaneous gambols in some of his turns he was entirely lovable it was clear that reggie loved him as you love a strange little animal at play or any vital object that diverts you from his manner i gathered that provided he were not committed to closer acquaintance with jevons he was willing enough to snatch the passing joy of him i do not know by what transitions they slid together on to the boer war the boer war happened to be reggie's own ground he had served in it you would have said that jevons had served in it too to hear him he traced the course of the entire campaign for reggie's benefit he showed him by what error each regrettable incident as they called them then had occurred and by what strategy it might have been prevented and reggie who had been there listened respectfully to jevons viola had lured me into a corner where only scraps of their conversation reached us from time to time so i do not know whether it was in connection with the boer war that jevons began telling reggie that journalism was a rotten game that from birth he had been balked of his ambition he had wanted to be tall and handsome he had wanted to be valorous and athletic and here he was sent into the world undersized and not even passably good-looking and what he asked reggie could he do with a physique like his i remember reggie telling jevons his physique didn't matter a hang he could be a war correspondent in the next war i remember jevons saying in an awful voice that was just it he couldn't be anything in the next war and by god there was a big war coming he gave it eight years but he couldn't be in it he was an arrant coward that he said was his tragedy his cowardice his distaste for danger his certainty that if any danger were ever to come near him he would funk and i remember reggie saying my dear fellow if you've the courage to say so and jevons beating off this consolation with a funny gesture of despair and then his silence it was as if suddenly in the midst of his gambling little jevons had fallen into an abyss he sat there at the bottom of the pit staring at us in the misery of the damned i looked at viola her eyelids drooped her head drooped her whole body drooped under the affliction of his stare and she would not look at me reggie he really was decent tried to turn it off i wouldn't worry if i were you he said wait till the war comes oh it's coming all right said little jevons no fear 
and as if he could no longer bear to contemplate his cowardice he said good-bye to us and left reggie's eyes followed his dejected retreating figure how quaint he said but he's a smart chap anyway and mind you he's right about that war i said heaven knows why except that i think i must have wanted reggie's opinion of jevons do you think he's right about his own cowardice reggie said ask me another you can't tell i only know i've seen men look like that and talk like that before an engagement viola raised her head her voice came with the clear tremor of a bell and did they funk they didn't run away if that's what you mean i dare say they felt like jevons i felt like jevons myself of course knowing jevons as i do now i have sometimes fancied his talk about cowardice may have been mere bravado the risk he took with reggie but here again i am not quite sure i don't really know i am however entirely enlightened as to the game viola played with me that night jevons had stayed till half-past six he had talked for two hours and a half when i got up to go reggie suggested that his sister should come and dine with him somewhere in town and do a play afterwards she said all right she was on and ferny would come too he said of course i was coming too that was what he had meant it wasn't and in the end i went i say in the end for of course i protested it was his one evening with his sister but viola's poor eyes signalled to me and implored me don't leave me alone with him whatever you do she wanted to put off the dreadful moment that must come when he would ask her where on earth did you pick up that shocking little bounder but the question never came to begin with reggie was so enthralled by the funny play we went to that he forgot all about jevons and then viola's game that started in the restaurant and went on all through dinner began again and continued in the taxi after the play and though reggie was discretion itself you could see that he had taken it for granted and no wonder that she and i were well on the brink of an engagement if we hadn't fallen in as for jevons he simply couldn't have conceived him in that connection to reggie jevons was simply an amusing little scallywag who could write that viola should have taken jevons seriously surpassed my imagination of the possible so that she never was in any danger of discovery and there was no need for her manoeuvres he couldn't have so much as found out that she had gone for a walk with jevons because it wouldn't have entered his head that you could go for a walk with him people didn't do these things besides he never was alone with her that evening she took good care of that she insisted on dropping him at his hotel which we passed on our way northwards she actually said to him you must get out here ferny'll see me home i want to talk to him and instead of talking to me she sat leaning forward with her back half turned to me staring through the window at nothing at all that was how i came to propose to viola in the taxi i had been afraid to do it before i wasn't going to do it at all unless i was sure of her but it seemed to me that she had been trying all afternoon and all evening to tell me that i might be sure well she wouldn't have me she was most decided about it i had no hope and no defence and no appeal from her decision unless i was prepared to be a bounder and a fatuous bounder at that i couldn't tell her that she had given me encouragement that almost amounted to invitation to do her justice until the dreadful moment in the taxi she hadn't known that she had given me anything she confessed that she had been trying to convey to reggie the impression that if her affections were engaged in any quarter it was in mine 
she had been so absorbed in calculating the effect on reggie that she had never considered the effect on me she said she thought i knew what she was up to and that i was simply seeing her through she spoke of jevons as if he was a joke a joke that might be disastrous if her family took it seriously it might end in her recall from town she intimated that there were limits even to reggie's enjoyment of the absurd she owned quite frankly that she was afraid of reggie afraid of what he might think of her and say to her because she said she was so awfully fond of him as for me and what i might think it was open to me to regard her solitary stroll with jevons as a funny escapade i do not believe the poor child was trying to throw dust in my eyes it was her own eyes she was throwing dust in she didn't want to think of herself what she was afraid of reggie thinking as to the grounds of my rejection i was determined to know them she was clear enough in her own little mind she liked me she liked me immensely she liked me better than anybody in the world but reggie she admired me she admired everything i did she thought me handsome i was the nicest-looking man she knew next to reggie but she didn't love me what's more ferny she said i can't think why i don't love you i couldn't see her clearly and continuously in the taxi the lamp-post we passed on the way to hampstead lit her up at short regular intervals and at short regular intervals she faded and was withdrawn from me and in the same intermittent way her soul as she was trying to show it to me was illuminated and withdrawn i ought to love you she went on i know i ought it would be the very best thing i could do the folly in me clutched at that admission and gave tongue if that's so i said don't you think you could try to do what you ought the lamplight fell on her then she was smiling a little sad wise smile no she said no i think that's why i can't love you because i ought and then she went on to explain that what she had against me was my frightful rectitude you're too nice for me ferny much too nice and ever so much too good i simply couldn't live with integrity like yours she paused and then turned to me full as we passed the lamplight i suppose you know my people would like me to marry you i said a little irritably that i had no reason to suppose anything of the sort they would she said why bless you that's what they asked you down at whitsuntide for i don't mean that they said to each other let's ask him down and then he'll marry viola they wouldn't even think it they're much too nice poor dears they'd be horrified if they knew i knew it but it was underneath their minds you know pushing them on all the time i believe they sent reggie up to have a look at you though they don't know that either they think they sent him to see what i was up to you see ferny dear from their point of view you are so eligible and really do you know i think that's what's dished you what's dished us both if you like to put it that way i'm sure you may i said it didn't matter much what dished me or how i put it provided i was dished but was i oh yes she left me in no doubt that i was dished and i saw i still see and if anything more clearly why i was everything that canterbury approved of and viola in her young revolt was up against everything of which canterbury approved her people were dear people they were charming people well-bred people they had unbroken traditions of beautiful behaviour and they had tied her up too tight in their traditions that was all viola would never marry anybody on whom canterbury had set its seal and seeing all that i saw that i had missed her by a mere accident it was my friend the general 
who had dished me when he testified to my entire eligibility that's to say it was my own fault if i had let well alone if i hadn't turned the general on to them i should have been in the highest degree ineligible i should have been a person of whom canterbury most severely disapproved when i've no doubt that viola out of sheer perversity would have insisted on marrying me she said as much so far she saw into herself and no farther the northern heights were favourable to this interview for the taxi broke down in an attempt to scale east heath road so that we walked the last few hundred yards together to her door it was while we were walking that stung by a sudden fear a reminiscence of the afternoon i asked her was there anybody else no she said there wasn't how could there be hadn't she told me she liked me better than anybody else next to reggie are you sure i said are you quite sure she stopped in the middle of the road and looked at him of course she said there isn't anybody except poor funny little jevons and you couldn't mean him that was as near as we got to him then but a week later the week before easter he came to us suddenly in my rooms where viola was correcting proofs for me he had come to tell us of his good luck his novel had been accepted i was glad of course but viola was more than glad she was excited agitated she jumped up and said oh jimmy she called him jimmy and her voice told me that it was not for the first time jimmy how simply spiffing and i saw him look at her with a grave and tender assurance as a man looks at the woman he loves when he knows that the hour of his triumph is her hour and i thought even then it's nothing it's only that she's glad the poor chap has pulled it off then she said let's all go and dine somewhere together you don't mind ferny dear do you i'll take it home and sit up with it oh i didn't mind we all went somewhere and dined together we went for the sheer appropriateness of it to that restaurant in soho where i had dined with jevons for the first time that was how it happened what did happen i mean afterwards in my rooms where jevons had left us we had gone back there for coffee and cigarettes canterbury wouldn't have approved of this he had said good-night to us when he turned on the threshold with his reminiscence the restaurant in soho had aroused it i say furnival do you remember that half-crown you borrowed from me i said i did and that to remind me of it now was a joke in very questionable taste he said you never really knew the joke i kept it from you most carefully that little orgy of ours had just about cleared me out and the half-crown was my last half-crown i had to go without any dinner for three days i mumbled something about his not meaning it he said of course i meant it why my dear chap that's the joke he stood there in the doorway rocking with laughter then he saw our faces i say i wouldn't have told you if i'd thought it would harrow you like that thought you'd find it funny it is funny i said no my dear fellow it's just miss being funny i put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him from the room i had seen viola's face and i didn't want him to see it i led him gently downstairs with a hand still on his shoulder he was a little grieved at giving pain when he had hoped to give pleasure at the bottom of the stairs he turned and looked at me with his ungovernable twinkle it was funny he said but it wasn't half so funny furnival as your face i found viola sitting at my writing-table with her arms flung out over it and her head bowed on them and she was crying crying with little soft sobs i've said that i didn't think she could do it and i didn't she wasn't the sort that cries i'm convinced she hadn't cried like this for years 
perhaps never since she was a child i put my arms round her as if she had been a child i held her soft warm quivering body close to mine i wiped her tears away with her pocket-handkerchief and like a child she abandoned herself to my to my rectitude she trusted in it utterly i might have been her brother reggie i said you mustn't mind he was only rotting us and she said he wasn't it was true he told me that six months ago he was starving i said vivi if he was you mustn't think about him you mustn't really then she drew away from me and dried her eyes herself carefully and efficiently and said in a calm and measured voice i'm not thinking about him i went on as if i hadn't heard her you mustn't be sorry for him jevons is quite clever enough to take care of himself he isn't a bit pathetic you mustn't let him get at you that way she raised her head with her old high defiance he isn't trying to get at me i'm not sorry for him any more than he's sorry for himself i said you don't know you're just a dear little ostrich hiding its head in the sand no she said no i'm not a fool fernie even an ostrich isn't such a fool as it looks it doesn't imagine for a moment that it isn't seen it hides its head because it knows it's going to be caught anyway and it's afraid of seeing what's going to catch it i asked her then was she afraid she was standing beside me now leaning back against my writing-table her two hands clutched the edge of it her eyes had a far-seeing candid gaze i'm not afraid she said of anything outside me only of things inside me sometimes what sort of things she smiled the queerest little far-off smile oh funny things things you wouldn't understand fernie to that i said i wish you'd marry me viola she shrugged her shoulders and said so did she and it was much worse for her than it was for me and then do you know reggie liked you immensely he told me so i said it would be more to the point if she did but since she didn't since she couldn't marry me i wished i wish i said you'd go back to canterbury and marry some nice man like reggie can't you see she cried that i shall never marry a nice man like reggie end of book one chapter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine